Amen. Are you ready for God's word today? Advent week one. I know you just sat down, but would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word today? We're going to be in Psalm 80. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 19. Hear the word of our Lord, church. Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who leads Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God, enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord God of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? You have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. To verse 17. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. The word of our Lord. You can be seated. Boy, oh boy. What a passage to kick off Advent. Feels very Adventy, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, as I preached just a few weeks ago, we are inserting ourselves today into the church calendar, kicking off the church year with Advent. And as a part of the church calendar, there's also the gift of what preachers call the lectionary. And this is like lots of really awesome, smart people got together a long time ago and, and delegated a series of texts to go with the church calendar. And so today I'm submitting myself to their expertise and choosing to preach from a text. And you know what that does? makes me preach things I normally wouldn't. But it's good because this text is full of Advent hope and I'm excited to go there. And in fact, our Advent journey this year is, is tethered to the Psalms. And so the text from the lectionary each week that we're leaning into is from a Psalm. So this is a unique passage when our Advent theme is hope. Or is it? Perhaps this psalm, which is a psalm of lament, which we'll talk about more, perhaps this is the perfect text to teach us about hope. You see, Advent, this season that we're embarking on, the word Advent means coming. And the season of Advent for the people of God, for the church, is all about waiting with anticipation. 
It's really a season that's training us to wait well. And this waiting that we're talking about, it isn't like waiting to go to Disneyland. Because don't you know, waiting to go to Disneyland, you're just dreaming and thinking of what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to buy, what rides are you going to spend your time waiting on? No, 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 no. This type of waiting that the people of God throughout centuries have had to train ourselves spiritually in, this type of waiting is a mixed bag of joy and sorrow. Think with me about the people of God during this time when this psalm would have been written. These would have, this would have been the Israelite community who had been told generation after generation that a Messiah was coming, one who would set things right, who would come in as they thought like a warrior. And as they found themselves in oppression, in exile, in various seasons of brokenness and despair, they were waiting with much anticipation for the Messiah whom they thought would come and defeat all their enemies in the fashion they wanted him to. And so the people of God write these types of psalms where in their waiting, there's some sorrow. You see, we're waiting for something too. We have a promise also that we're waiting for fulfillment. It's the promise that the Messiah will return again. And so, much like the Israelites, here we are, waiting. And if we're honest with ourselves, it is a mixed bag. Amen? A mixed bag of joy and sorrow. There are reasons to lament in the midst of hope. You see, much like the Israelites, both of us have promises to remember. Promises of God's goodness, his faithfulness, that Jesus is coming. We have these promises to cling to, yet we see this example of the people of God lamenting in the midst of great hope. So there's this promise, there's hope, but there's lament. So as we talk about this theme of hope, I want to just kind of lay my cards out on the table right now. I think there's a really huge biblical case for this, church. This is in your notes. Lament does not invalidate hope. Lament, grief, sorrow does not invalidate hope. Can somebody give me a hearty amen on that one? Thank you, Jesus, right? In fact, I wonder if our willingness to lament before the Lord actually makes space for deep hope to take root. Think culturally with me for a moment. Perhaps we would agree that in general, 
we as a society don't really know what to do with negative emotions. We're uncomfortable around grief and sadness, and you fill in the blank of the other more difficult emotions. Can you imagine with me that somewhere along the way, our cultural difficulty with emotions like anger and grief and fear and sadness, that perhaps that cultural difficulty has impacted the way that we view God, that it's impacted the way that we view God's perspective on these emotions. So maybe because somebody in your circle is uncomfortable with your grief, we then assume God must be uncomfortable with our grief too. Does that make sense? Perhaps somewhere along the way, we've begun to believe that God also is too busy or unwilling to listen to our more complex emotions in life. Perhaps somewhere along the way, we got the impression that if we express lament of any kind, it means we lack faith and hope in God. I think if we're honest, we could reflect and maybe really, really well-meaning people have said something to us like, well, if you just had more faith, If you just trusted God more. And man, while I think those people had really good intentions, I don't see that as a reflection of God's heart in Scripture. And we all breathe a sigh of relief, right? Did you know, this fact is in your notes too, 70%, say that out loud, 70% of the Psalms are what we call laments. 70. That's seven out of 10 of the Psalms are laments. The book of worship for the people of God. 70%, y'all. And we be scared of taking our stuff to God. Plus, there's this whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. An entire book. Do you sense with me the difference between our tendency or our urge to avoid the harder emotions and then a time for the people of God when the book of Psalms was written? The people of God, as we see displayed in Scripture, have been comfortable bringing all things to God. They have been, yet somewhere, somehow, something changed, and I think it's cultural, we became uncomfortable taking all things to God. So today, as we kick off Advent, I'm asking, or I'm thinking out loud here, and I invite you into my thinking out loud. Could it be That proper lament breeds hope-filled living. Could it be that proper lament breeds hope-filled 
living. I think we have a strong case in Scripture to answer that with a hearty yes. But let's define this word lament, and then we're going to turn back to our text in Psalms. Lament simply means this. This first definition is straight from like Oxford Dictionary. It says this, lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And then the team at the Bible Project have named lament this way. They said lament are prayers of pain, confusion, and anger. Laments draw attention to what's wrong in the world. And a lament asks God to do something. That's the biblical concept of lament, of which 70%, right? 70% of the Psalms are. Now let's look back at, at Psalm 80 today. You see, this is a bold move, bold move on behalf of the psalmist. You see, in this psalm, God is who they blame. Nobody wants to say that out loud, but it's in there. God is who they blame. In the midst of these declarations of who God is, they point their finger right at God. I don't know that I'm that brave, and if you don't believe me, here it is. Look at verses 5, 6, and 12 with me. The people of God in this psalm of lament said this, You, you have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us scorn, us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. And then in verse 12, which was a verse we didn't, read at the beginning. They said this, but now why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass by may steal our fruit? Wow. Ever been tempted to blame God for something? Ever been tempted to blame God for something you actually know is a consequence of something you did? Good news. It ended up in the Bible. They did too. You see, even though they blame God for their situation, this psalm is full of these affirmations that they still and affirm and believe that God is trustworthy, that God is loving, and that God is good. We see that especially in verses 8 through 11. They call out to God to restore and rescue them. We see that in verses 2, 14, 18, and 19. In the midst of pointing their finger... They're also like, but we know you can fix it. But we know that you are good, that you are faithful. They're a hot mess. They still, in the midst of their intermingled sorrow and grief and hope, 
They cry out to God with expectation that God will hear them and that God will respond. And I think we see this, church. This is in your notes. They lamented to God because their hope was tethered to God. Sorry for that typo. They lamented to God because their hope was tethered to God. It's like they felt so comfortable that God was where their hope found its firm foundation that they could lament safely to the one who gave them their hope. You see, these laments that we find in the psalm, these seven out of ten laments in the psalms, they aren't the cries of people who are fearful that God will be angry with them for their honesty. But they're cries of those who are secure in the goodness of God and his love. Just a little side note. If God is okay with us coming to him with these things, we as the church must do the same to our neighbors, to one another. And so Advent, this is in your notes. Advent is a season of intermingled lament and hope. Advent is a season of intermingled lament and hope. There is indeed a lament in the waiting that we find ourselves in. Where is God? Where is God? What in the world is God doing? Has God forgotten us? Y'all never ask those questions. Never. I do. So there's definitely lament in the waiting. And church, there is hope in the waiting. Because that very same God that we say, where are you, is the God who came as a baby in the person of Jesus. And it's that God that we have deep hope in who will come again to make all things right. And so together, much like the people of God in this psalm, who were waiting for the promised Messiah that would take the exile and the sorrow and the grief and the oppression that they found themselves in and set things right, similar to those people we are looking, we are watching, We are waiting with anticipation that God will hear our prayers and respond. And so together in the Advent season, we practice waiting well. We practice waiting together, holding together this mess that is lament and hope. So what can we learn about hope from this psalm of lament? This is what I would propose to us today. 
Naming reality is the beginning of hope. And lament is a worshipful pathway to naming reality. Let's chew on that for a second. Naming reality, being honest, is the beginning of hope. And lament is a worshipful pathway to naming reality. It's a worshipful pathway to honesty. Let me give you a personal example here. I've shared a few different times in passing, but during the COVID pandemic, I started seeing a therapist regularly. Because I don't know if you remember, but COVID was cray. And as a pastor, it was cray. And, and when I first started therapy, I really struggled being honest about my hurts. I really struggled. I kept getting hung up on this message in my head. How can this negativity be worth my time? I don't want to talk bad about this person or, or that person. They didn't mean to hurt me. This can't be worth my time to spend time being negative. And then the, the more I invested in therapy and week after week after week of just faithfully bearing my soul because I believed that God had told me to, I realized that the honesty I made space for in therapy actually allowed me to love and trust deeper. That it was that work of honesty that prepared my heart to love again, to trust again, and to remain invested in relationships. You see, because what I had avoided or what I couldn't be honest about had been crippling me. It bred bitterness in my heart and made me anxious in relationships. So I wonder this, church. God, in his sovereignty, saw it fit that 70%, right? 70% of Psalms be lament and that a book like Lamentations be written and kept in the Bible for centuries. I wonder if he knew all of this to be true. That the act of honesty is what makes us relational. That the act of honesty makes way for hope. I, I think about it this way, like pre-therapy, my emotions were like this. You know what I mean? And there ain't nothing good happening in there, right? And then through the slow process, it, you know, kind of... You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what lament does for us. It makes space for hope. 
Think about this. I think you can all relate to this, or or anyone who has declared Christ Lord and Savior of your life. This is in your notes. The hope of salvation even begins with lament. The hope of salvation even begins with lament. Think about it. What is the sinner's prayer if it isn't a lament? You come before God, you're broken up about your sin, you're aware that you desperately need God to come through for you, you're desperate for the salvation of Jesus. What is that other than a prayer of lament? Lament breeds hope. So based on what we see in the Psalms of Lament, not just the one we read today, but the other 70% of the Psalms, we can find hope in this church. This is in your notes. Grief and hope can coexist. Grief and hope can coexist. Let's add to that. Lament and hope can coexist. Another tough one that we encounter at times, faith and fear can coexist. Anxiety and peace can coexist. And so the next time somebody tries to tell you where if you just had more faith, You kindly tell them, I have read the book of Psalms and I know God can handle my yuck right now. Amen? Amen. Grief and hope can coexist. And the season of Advent is an opportunity for us to practice that truth. I don't know if you notice this, but the human experience is not that neat and tidy. And I don't think God expects it to be. I wonder even if hope is at its best when lament is given space to breathe. I wonder if hope is at its best when lament is given space to breathe. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage as we prepare to go into a time of reflection, as we think about Advent hope, today through the text we're reminded that lament is normalized in the Psalms as a part of living in a broken world. When we can get brave enough to name our painful reality, often we're able to proceed and cope with it in ways that we simply can't when we ignore it. And so when we lament as a church, when we lament as the people of God together, you know what that allows? It allows us to journey through the process together. And so yet again, the gathered people of God should be a space 
where lament is welcome, shouts of joy are welcome, and everything in between. And we journey hand in hand with one another through it all. So today, church, I, I hope we're getting the sense that taking time to lament opens us up to the possibility of hoping and trusting in the faithfulness of God. Believing that God will be present with us, that he will be our Emmanuel, that we will be freed from sin, and we will be saved. I'm thankful for that hope today. I'm thinking of another example. Have you ever been really mad at your spouse? Never. But I wonder what it's like. No, really. Have you ever been really mad at someone? And it's just like you are, you know, putting every bit of your anger into everything that you do. You know, the I'm saying I need that <laughs> and then suddenly you just like lower your guard enough to be like Mark I just blah 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 and suddenly you melt and there's space for your relationship to vibe a little bit better again isn't that like relational lament? Honey, you did this, and I don't get it, and I feel hurt. But somewhere in there, I know you love me. By golly. So here I am again. Is that not even more so how it is with God? That sometimes we can be just gritting our teeth. I love you, God. You're so faithful and so good. And we just need to say, God, I really am not feeling it right now. I don't see you. I don't get it. This hurts. Why are you doing this? And then something happens. And in our honesty, we're able to go, but Lord, I've seen you move, and I know I'll see it again. Lament breeds hope. I want to end by reading verse 19 from that psalm to us today. This was the whole point. As they lamented, as they brought their sorrow before the Lord, oh, they said this, turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Do you see that? Oh God, turn my face to you again. I'm, I'm facing the other way and I'm hurt. God, would you turn me back? Not even I'm turning myself back, but God, would you turn me back? Make your face shine down upon us. Only then 
will we be saved? And I think God in his grace says, sure. Come to me. Lament, honesty makes way for hope. And so as we wait in the midst of questions, in the midst of fears, in the midst of wondering where God is, when will Christ return? We wait through our sorrow with hope, knowing that he came once, he's coming to us each and every day through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will return again. Amen? Would you stand with me if you believe that to be true? So whatever you need today, the altars are open. I will be available for anointing if you need healing of any kind. But there's space for your grief. There's space for your shouts of joy. We'll journey with you through it all. Almighty God, would you come? Speak to your people in these moments as we bear our hearts to you honestly and we make space for our lament to breed deep hope. Come, have your way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Altars are open.